Our scripture reading today is from the book of Luke, chapter 4, verse 14 through 30 in the book of Luke. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those that you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly, there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elijah, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. How many of you have read books by John Grisham? He is one of the world's most successful novelists of the last at least two decades. He has well over 100 million books in print in 31 languages, and yet Grisham was hardly an overnight success in his transition from being an attorney uh, to being a writer. A Time to Kill was his first novel. It was rejected by 28 agents and publishers. When an agent did take him on as a client, the book's first press run was only 5,000 copies. 
He himself purchased a thousand of those 5,000, put them in the trunk of his car and went from bookstore to bookstore trying to uh, hawk his new book. Only after his second novel, The Firm, hit the bestseller list did he really get his break. Six of his books have now been made into movies. The first press run of a more recent volume, A Painted House, was a phenomenal 2.8 million copies. My theme today is rejected. He was rejected at the outset, but that was not the plan. Rejection. I can speak to rejection as a high schooler. My favorite subject was mathematics, and I determined the career path for me was to be an electrical engineer. Living south of Boston, 20 miles, obviously the place to go was Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, the premier world-class educational institution. So I applied. I was rejected. I chose then Purdue University, and I said, okay, Naval ROTC is for me. They'll pay the bill, and I get to be in the Navy because I wanted to be in the submarine service. Some of you have wondered about my stability. That proves it. <laughs> I went through about three levels of uh, application and then was rejected. I stayed at Purdue for a graduate degree in speech after my minor in mathematical statistics. I went to the speech department and applied for a teaching assistantship in order to fund my master's degree. They determined that my one entry class in speech was not sufficient to qualify me to teach people, and so I was rejected. I went across the way that afternoon and went into the math department and secured a research assistantship in the math department doing computer, teaching computer programming. Rejection doesn't necessarily mean the end of the line. I went, my wife and I went to Denver as I prepared for my seminary career. I got a job with Illinois California Express in their programming department, two of us. I was the newbie and another programmer. That programmer would not talk to me about the trucking industry. I knew computers, but I didn't know the trucking industry. And after six months of absolute frustration, uh, I resigned. I was rejected by her, basically. Another rejection. My, oh, my. It's not easy to experience rejection. You had the passage read to you this morning. Jesus was rejected. Think of what had happened in his life prior to that experience in Nazareth. He had been baptized by John the baptizer, filled with the Holy Spirit. He went into the desert for 40 days. He was tested by the devil. He went into the area of Galilee. He taught in the synagogues there. Uh, and was well received. He went to Nazareth, his place of upbringing, 20 miles southwest of Capernaum, out there in the hill country. And at first, verses 14 through 22 in Luke chapter 4 tells you he was well received. 
He went into the synagogue. People spoke well of him. He taught there. They were amazed at his learning, his teaching, uh, his reputation about the works that he had done in Capernaum. The miracles had preceded him. He then stood up and he read from the book of Isaiah. And that's verses 18 and 19 in that Luke passage. Then he sat down. Normally when someone in the synagogue would read a passage, they would then give a little exposition on that passage, what it meant and the application and so forth. But he simply said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Maybe all of a sudden they thought, hmm, this is remarkable. Isn't this Joseph's son? If he's been doing all these things, healing the sick and rebuking the demons in Capernaum, then surely he'll do these things here. We have real needs too. And this is his hometown. He's supposed to have a little allegiance to his hometown. Well, Jesus knew their hearts. He knew their hearts, and their hearts were not pure. They wanted something for themselves from him. He was a prophet, verses 23 through 27 of Luke 4, tells us that prophets weren't popular among their own people because prophets told them the hard things. They told them the things they needed to hear, not just the things that they wanted to hear. And the people weren't ready to accept that. Jesus reminded them that there were many needs among a lot of folks in Elijah's hometown. There was a severe famine. There were widows there. But God sent Elijah to meet the needs of one single woman. And it was a woman outside of Israel, in Sidon, north of Palestine on the Mediterranean. God also sent Elisha to heal only Naaman of leprosy, even though many people in Israel experienced that same disease. You see, God doesn't always follow our plan. He doesn't always do what seems logical and what seems appropriate. And Jesus spoke to them about that. Verses 28 through 30 in that Luke 4 passage basically says all of a sudden, they turned around. They turned on Jesus. The words of Jesus, it says, made them mad. It made them furious. In the span of one hour, they turned from admiring their hometown boy, raised in their midst. He had lived there almost 30 years. And their attitude turned to hate, to anger, to hostility. In fact, Scripture tells us they were so mad they drove him out of town, they attempted to push him off a cliff. Folks, I suppose that's the ultimate rejection. When you get pushed off a cliff, that's sort of the end of the story. Well, it tells us he walked through them. Notice how it's expressed there. He walked through them. He didn't run away. He walked through them. And then he went to live in Capernaum, we're told in Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. Later in his ministry, he returned to Nazareth, and he met the same skepticism again. How must Jesus have felt as he left Nazareth that first time? Well, let's apply it to ourselves. 
We get much of our sense of self-worth, our value, from the response of the other people around us. They rejected him. They drove him out. Can't you hear them hurling those cruel words at him as they chased him away? You betrayed us. You don't love your own. You turned your back on your own kin. How could you do this? We've given ourselves to you and your family for all these years, and now you won't help us. So you see, at the very beginning of his ministry, there were those closest to him who rejected him. For most of us, that would hurt when the people closest to us turned their back on us. And that was not the only time. There were other times. In his earlier ministry, he drew the crowds because he was doing things that benefited them. But if you read the scriptures, you find that when he stopped doing those things that benefited them, the crowds dropped off. You see, we need people who believe in us. We need people who encourage us. We need people who support us. And when they don't, that hurts. Jesus had practically his whole adult ministry without people who believed in him, without people who encouraged him, without people who supported him. At the beginning of his ministry, his brothers didn't believe in him. John chapter 7, verse 5 tells us. His own family said he was out of his mind, Mark 3, 21. He was challenged by the leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He was rejected by Herod and rejected by Pilate. He was betrayed by Judas. Peter, James, and John, what about them? What about them in the Garden of Gethsemane? What did they do? They fell asleep. He was denied by Peter. The mob chanted for his execution. On the Mount of Olives, the disciples pledged their allegiance to Jesus, Mark 14 and 31. But just a few hours later, as addressed, all of them fled. They all left, Matthew 26, 56. Isaiah describes the Messiah, Jesus, as despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows. Indeed, rejection hurts. It hurts perhaps the most when you're rejected by those who are closest to you. Perhaps someone else in your family was the favorite, not you, and you've carried this with you for the rest of your life. Perhaps someone with whom you've had a very close relationship walked away or turned on you, turned against you. It hurts. In Psalm 41, verse 9, David laments, Even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shares my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. In Psalm 55, verses 12 through 14, the psalmist cries out, If it were an enemy making fun of me, I could endure it. If it were an opponent boasting over me, I could hide myself from him. But it is you, my companion, my colleague and close friend. We had intimate talks with each other and we worshiped together 
in the house of God, how that hurts. Perhaps you've had a dating relationship turn sour. Perhaps you've gone through a divorce and experienced the hurt of a partner withdrawing the love that brought you together at the beginning. Perhaps you've had a child of yours turn away from you and push you out of his or her life. Perhaps you've had a parent turn you aside. Remember Psalm 27, verse 10. When my father or mother forsakes me, the Lord will take me up. Jesus kept his identity, his sense of worth, of calling, even when he was rejected by those closest to him. I can't help but think that those deepful, those deep hurtful moments caused him to think back on his baptism when the voice of heaven declared, this is my son in whom I live, in whom I love, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Matthew 3:17. Jesus kept his sense of identity by grounding it in whom God declared him to be, not whom others declared him to be. He didn't run from the crowd at Nazareth. He walked right through them, and he went on his way to fulfill the mission that God had given him. He didn't just go back to, from Nazareth back to Capernaum. His path took him from Nazareth to the cross at Golgotha's hill. We all want people to think well of us. It's natural, it's appropriate. But can we find the courage to walk through the crowd as Jesus did at Nazareth when the crowd rejects us? Can we find the courage to go our own way, fulfilling our call, knowing what God says about us, knowing whom God has declared us to be? That's what God wants. He does not want us simply to respond to the accolades of people around us. He wants us to respond to him and his calling for us. God promised his presence to those who are rejected. Jesus knew that path. That's why God promises to never leave us or forsake his children. 1 Kings 8. 57. That was the promise that he gave to Joshua as he instructed Joshua to undertake that conquering of the promised land. Joshua 1.15. God has a calling for us, calling for each one of us. The other side of rejection is the calling that God gives us to embrace those who would reject us to include them in our love, to turn toward them, not away from them, to reject their rejection. Perhaps you've been the one to reject someone else, even as the people of Nazareth rejected Jesus. If so, perhaps you need to uh, look again at the Son of God who loved those who turned against him. You see, God never rejected us. We are the ones that rejected him. He deserves with all his, he desires with all his heart that we turn to him and receive his love and his forgiveness. If we've rejected a family member, perhaps an inconvenient relative, 
God passionately desires that that relationship be restored, even as his son gave the ultimate sacrifice to see our relationship with him restored. We're not called on to just enjoy the acceptance of God. We're called on to extend the acceptance of God to others. A true story. Gloria was ready to take her life. Years of drug abuse, failed relationships, problems seemed overwhelming, and they'd taken their toll. She was prepared with countless uh, drug prescriptions that she had hoarded. She's prepared to take all of them and uh, had saved them up for this purpose. She turned on the television to keep her neighbors from hearing this whole process, not knowing how she would respond to all of the consumption of the drugs. The channel was turned to a Billy Graham crusade. At the bottom of the screen, there was a telephone number for anyone needing help. Gloria called the number before she took those pills. The counselor recognized the seriousness of Gloria's situation. She directed Gloria to a nearby Wesleyan church where someone would be able to help her. Gloria decided to put her suicide off and attended that church the next day, which was Sunday. Just before the worship service began, Gloria met the pastor. Billy Graham sent me, she told that pastor. Sometime later, Gloria was able to give this testimony. Billy Graham saved me from killing myself, but my church showed me how to be saved from my sins. The love of the people was incredible. I never knew someone as dirty as me could ever receive love again. The people accepted me just as I was. I have seen Jesus. He is in the faces of all these people who love me. Lakeside is filled with people who either have rejected Jesus or feel rejected by God, like Gloria. They need to see Jesus. But like Gloria, they will only see Jesus through people who will love them just like Jesus does. Our job is to be Jesus to these people. The people in that Wesleyan church were Jesus to Gloria. So I ask, how can we be Jesus to the people of Lakeside? The crucifixion of Jesus was the ultimate rejection of God's gift to us, but his resurrection was the declaration that God rejected our rejection. He overruled it. He accepted us, even as he invites us to accept him. As we celebrate the communion service, the communion table, let's remember that the one who was rejected is a savior to all who will come to him. If you have never believed in Jesus, this could be your moment. Don't let it pass. Heavenly Father, rejection is painful. And it's good that we experience it from time to time so that we can just begin to understand
how our Lord was rejected. And it's good that we experience it so that when we are accepted by God, it can overwhelm us because it is something different than is offered to us by so many others. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you did not reject us. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we find our value not in the opinions of others, but in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus for us to pay for our sins. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that rejection gives us a path to acceptance. Acceptance of your Son. Acceptance of your love. Acceptance of everything that you do for us. We are a grateful people. Fill us with the love of Jesus so that we can speak to others who feel rejected and need a Savior. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.